0: If you've ever been married or helped plan a wedding, you know there's a lot of work involved in putting one together. I remember one of, one of the hardest parts, I think, of actually putting together a wedding was putting together that guest list. You run into the problem, you can, you can only afford to invite so many people to your wedding when you got a budget. And, and you wanna invite the right people to your wedding, You want to have the right people on that guest list, the people that you really want to have there to celebrate that big moment with you. And it's hard sometimes to put together a guest list. This, this couple that was getting married in Cana of Galilee that we're looking at today, I think they had the right idea. They invited Jesus to their wedding. I didn't think of that. Maybe I should have done that. You can't go wrong inviting Jesus as a guest to your wedding. They're on to something. But that that couple from Cana, they they still didn't totally realize how important it would be to have Jesus there as a guest at their wedding. At this point when they invited him, they, they probably didn't actually know who Jesus really was. And when we read this story of the wedding in Cana, we already know who Jesus is. And, and so we cheer on the inside when we hear this story. This is, this is a great wedding story. Because here we see God doing exactly what we think he should be doing. God swoops in to save the day. That, that newlywed couple, they were about to be incredibly embarrassed if they ran out of wine at their wedding. But Jesus is there to save the day. Like, like a genie in a magic lamp, he's there to, to answer a wish and make it all better again. This is exactly what we want to see God doing, right? To swoop in, to save the day, to be that genie in that magic lamp. Now th- this whole problem the, the newlywed couple had running out of wine at their wedding, I mean, okay, I guess that would have been embarrassing, but would it really have been all that big of a deal? Maybe people would have been upset right right away, but they'd have gotten over it, right? Maybe that's true if this was just a modern wedding. But failing to provide proper hospitality at an event like this was a serious offense in Palestinian culture of that time. You had to meet the the required social standard. There's no budging on that. And and running out of wine halfway through your celebration, this is going to call into question the groom's ability to provide. Kind of a big deal. Thankfully, Jesus also had his mother there at the wedding. Mary, she was apparently helping out with the serving and hosting of the banquet because she knew right away There's no more wine. And and if someone doesn't help with this pretty soon, then everyone's going to find out. It's going to be very embarrassing. And Mary does a good thing here. She turns to Jesus for help. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And here, right, it looks like Mary, she's showing her faith. This is great. Turning to Jesus. Why does Jesus say this weird thing next? Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Does Jesus' response kind of make you feel uncomfortable? Did he really just say that to his mother? I mean, what gives Jesus? Come on, what, what's going on here? We, we should probably unpack this confusing response, right? Uh, first of all, Jesus calling his mother woman. You know, actually, that, that wasn't Jesus being disrespectful. In our language today, calling someone, especially your mother, woman, that won't go over well. That, you're going to come across very rude and very demeaning. Don't do that. But this was actually a pretty common and, and actually respectful way to address a lady in the time of Jesus. Maybe our, our modern equivalent for this would be like calling someone ma'am or madam. It's respectful, recognizing their station. And Jesus does this, right? He, he's not disrespecting his mother, but then he, it still does come across kind of weird for a son to speak that way to his mother, to call her ma'am or madam. Maybe this gives us a hint of the kind of relationship those two had. I mean, Mary very correctly, sees Jesus as her son, the one she gave birth to and raised. But also at the same time, as the son of God, Jesus is her Lord and Savior. I'm sure this was a really hard thing for Mary to balance out in her mind at times. Give her a lot of credit, she had a very tough role to fill. But here, Jesus does, he has to gently correct her and and remind her who he actually is. He has to remind her of whose plan he's got to follow now. Now now that he's officially started his public ministry since his, his baptism, now he has to follow God's plan for his work. He can't just carry out what his mother wants him to do anymore. Things have kind of changed a little bit. And that's why Jesus says to her, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Not saying this to be disrespectful to his mother. He's also not saying this as if he doesn't care about the problem this newlywed couple was having. Jesus responds this way to point out an important truth. If Jesus does this miracle here, there will be no going back. Think about it. Up to this point, There's been a lot of miraculous things that have happened all around Jesus. He had a chorus of angels at his birth, a star that led some revered magi to come and give him priceless gifts. At his baptism, he had a visible appearance from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But up to this point, Jesus still hasn't done anything miraculous himself. Jesus knows If he performs this miracle here, now, there will be no going back, no hiding who he is or what he's come to do. Jesus' miracles got a lot of people's attention, including the attention of his enemies who eventually would put him to death. So what Jesus is essentially saying here to his mother is, my dear, dear woman, you have no idea what you're asking. You you can't know what will be set in motion if I do this here now. Jesus knows if he starts performing miracles, he's he's taking a step onto that path toward his destiny of being the sacrifice for sins on the cross, to, to head to the cross for his hour. This kind of seemingly small request to help with the wine problem, actually a bigger request than it looks because then Jesus has to take up the revelation of showing his full glory, heading to that cross to face his hour. And so Jesus needs to make it clear to Mary, for everyone else, that, that if he's gonna do this, it's not just because his mother wants him to do it, it's because it's, it's God's plan from the beginning that this is how it's gotta happen. Sometimes Jesus, he also needs to remind you and me, just like he did for Mary, of of who he really is. Like Mary, maybe not intentionally, but we might, like Mary, end up thinking, we want God to do all the things that we want him to do. He should do the things that we think he should do, to follow our plan, our will for things. As believers, like Mary, we we got that faith, right? We, We are turning to God for his help. That's good. We maybe think, all right, Jesus, here's a perfect opportunity for you to show us all something here, to, to swoop in and save the day. Let's see what you got. That's good. But maybe the problem with it is we might start to think of God or Jesus like a genie in a lamp, thinking, well, I kind of want to be the master of God and, and just be able to, to whip out that magic lamp and, and summon God when I have a problem and then he has to answer my wish just like I want him to. Just like Aladdin's big blue happy genie always answered him, answered his wish. Maybe it sounds like this. Lord, I've, I've waited long enough. You've taught me patience. Now answer my wish. Just give me that job I've been wanting, the one that will make me happy. Come on, show me something here. Then I'll know you actually love me. Or, Lord, I've lost so many people I love already. Grant my wish. Don't take this person from me too. If, if, you, if you answer this wish, then, then I'll really know you love me. If you don't, well, come on. This is, this is tough. And, and you know this. God doesn't always answer us exactly how we want him to, exactly when we want him to. He's not a genie with chains on his wrists that has to, to come out and, and answer our every wish when we want him to. Jesus, he explains that to Mary and, and to us that it is, it is wrong to think that we can be master of God, to have him do everything that we think he should be doing to follow our plan. But Jesus, he reminds Mary and, and you and me of this very gently. You know, Jesus sees that faith in our heart. He, he knows we are turning to him for help, even though sometimes we do have this misguided idea of what God has to do for us. God just wants us to know something though. God does not swoop in to save the day because he's wearing the chains of a genie because he has to. Jesus wants us to know that he swoops in to save the day even though he is the master. He swoops in to save the day even though he's not obligated to us to do that. He swoops in to save the day even though he's not wearing genie chains. Jesus swoops in to save the day freely because he wants to. Jesus willingly takes that step onto the path leading to his hour, his death on the cross. He does that for us. and He's not doing this just because it's what we think he ought to be doing. Jesus does this because he loves us. God God is not like a genie wearing chains to come and answer our every wish. We need to remember that. But this really just makes it even more miraculous when we see God, who is the master of all, enter into our world as a guest and to allow himself not to be put in a magic lamp but to be pinned with nails to a cross held there by the chains of his love for us. That's what what brought him there. That's what kept him there. That's love. The master becoming a guest, a servant for us to swoop in and save the day. And this is still true too that you know a lot of the time Jesus does answer us exactly in the way we we want him to and and need him to. And a lot of the times he's going to answer us in an even better way than we ever could have imagined. You kind of heard that from Ephesians chapter 3, that other reading. He's going to answer us in a way that's better than we imagined. That becomes clear here in this, this wedding at Cana. Right, he had to remind Mary whose plan he's following. And yet, you see him doing exactly what what Mary was hoping he would do. He swoops in to save the day. He saves this newlywed couple from the embarrassment of running out of wine. He came to this wedding as a guest. But by the end of it, he's making very clear, he's actually the master of this wedding in Cana. And Mary's response to all this, it can also be our response. Even though she got gently rebuked by Jesus, she still just simply trusts in him that he's going to do the right thing. Except now at this time, she she allows him to do it on his own time, in his own way, in the best way, according to his loving plan. So she simply trusts and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus does swoop in to save the day. He addresses this wine problem with abundance and excellence. Right? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Have you ever thought about just how much wine Jesus makes here? And this is like way more than they ever would have needed. One, one Bible commentator I was reading on this, he, he kind of did all the math. I'm not good at math, so I'm let him do it for us here. Uh, the servants, right, they filled six purification jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. They were filled to the brim. This amounts to 120 to 180 gallons of water. Now, one gallon of wine produces five 750 milliliter bottles of wine like you would buy in a store. So if you do the math, you'll find Jesus provided between 600 and 900 bottles of wine. And we're not talking Franzia. This was good wine, the best. This is the Jesus vintage. This wine was so good it should have been served first while everyone's taste buds were still in full gear. Like this this was an extravagant wedding gift that Jesus gave to this couple from Cana. This wine was going to last them far beyond just just this wedding. Maybe one of the reasons we can see why he produced so much wine to make it very clear. This is no magic trick. You don't see Jesus in this account ever going doing hocus pocus over these water jars. He's not getting out chemistry things and doing experiments with this water. No, it's, and he made so much wine, it's not like he could have just slipped a bottle out of his sleeve that he kept hidden this whole time. Something miraculous was being done here. Je- Jesus didn't just change water into wine. That title that's usually given to this account, that's, I don't think that's good enough. The title should read, Jesus instantly mass produces the best wine. That's what actually happened here. And, and in this miracle, it's evident that Jesus loves to give his people just love that is abundant and excellent above what we could have imagined. We really see that coming out in this miracle here. But maybe now here is a good time to address a question that I'm, I'm guessing is kind of floating around in all your heads now. Why would Jesus produce so much wine? Was Jesus promoting drunkenness? The easy answer to this question is no. Jesus does not sin. And, and if promoting people to get drunk, that would have been sinful. Clearly, that's not what Jesus is doing here. I think it comes back again to the point that so much wine, this is not a magic trick. You can't fake something like this. There's more to it than that, though, too, I think. Maybe we need to mention alcohol in and of itself is not evil. Um, If it were, Jesus would not have created this wine in the first place. Jesus himself, he actually did drink wine. And wine is created to be enjoyed not abused. Jesus created all this wine, but he wasn't controlling people's, uh, the, the amount that they would drink. It, it was on their, their own foolish choice if they chose to abuse that. And I think maybe you need to know this too, that back in, in those days, wine, it was really the safest way to drink water, to be hydrated. That alcohol would kill off the bacteria. So most people, they had wine just so they could survive and, and drink something safely. And wine was usually diluted back in those days, two parts water to one part wine. So maybe you don't think of this wine as potent as the stuff we would have today. Hopefully, that, that's enough for now. I know th- there's a lot more you could say about this, but I just want to clear that up and let you know Jesus did not do anything wrong here. But now, by the end of this account, you have seen Jesus perform his first miracle. And in this last verse of the account, you really start to see the whole point of all of this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You notice this miracle isn't even called a miracle. It's called a sign. And this sign was only seen by a few people in the end. His mother Mary, those servants, his disciples. But this sign unveiled to them the full glory of who Jesus was, the Son of God. And this was just the first sign of many more that Jesus would perform, making his identity totally unmistakable. Here we see Jesus, first of all, having compassion, meeting that immediate need of this, of this newlywed couple in Cana. We also see him, though, meeting an even more important spiritual need, working faith in the hearts of his disciples. Because his disciples have been following him for just a short time now, and they they must have known there's something special about Jesus, that he must be close with God. But now, something has changed. They start to see that Jesus is so much more than just that start to see him revealing his full glory as God himself, that Jesus is the master. A master who abundantly provides the best for his people. Gives them forgiveness, life, salvation. And he does this not because he's a genie who has to. He's the master who loves to. Amen.